0: Okay, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, we'll be looking at verses um, 8 through 10. Um, Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica. This is one of the earliest epistles that was written. And we know that whenever Paul was in Thessalonica, he left Philippi, went to Thessalonica. He was not there very long. Some say it was around three weeks. Some say it might have been a little bit longer than that. But regardless, it was not. He was not there very long. And whenever we read the beginning of this first epistle um, to the Thessalonians, uh, it's very clear that whenever the Lord uh, moved among the uh, Thessalonians, He moved in a powerful way that the gospel came, that the Holy Spirit um, quickened hearts and he um, um, began to work in them in a very powerful way. He says, uh, let me back up. Let me back up to verse 2 just to catch this. Paul says, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, and labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us, and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you are in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So the focus here is on this last portion, eight to 10, turning to God from idols and what that means. And, um, it's interesting that, um, from, um, Thessalonica. You could um, uh, uh, close to Thessalonica was Mount Olympus, which is was supposedly the place where all the gods were. You know the the Olympics and those kinds of things. All the gods, small g gods, were there, and that's where they worshipped. Those were the idols, as it were, that they were turning from. And so um, when Paul is is saying that our entrance among you, or as we entered into you, it was very powerful because you made this turning, this turning away from your idols to the living God, Uh, we know this already, but idolatry is just a matter of the heart. Uh, It doesn't matter if you're a looking at Mount Olympus it doesn't matter this picture is is a picture from Brazil there's another uh, scene that looks very much like this in uh, San Juan del Sur um, Nicaragua where we were and uh, it's it's where the uh, where the Catholics have built this huge statue of Jesus like he is and and he's overseeing the city and um, in Nicaragua as well as in Brazil this is a great source of of peace. It's a reassurance to the people as they look at this statue um, that God is watching over them, that God is revering them. They find security in this statue, which is just as idolatrous as what was going on on Mount Olympus. Uh, security that comes through concrete and rebar that's shaped in the figure of a man uh, with his hands spread out. Uh, so when we're thinking about idols, it's most of the time uh, when we think about the, the wooden idols or the, the statue type idols, uh, we think about these pagan type um, idolatrous services. Uh, really an idol, it is something that you worship, but an idol is also something that you find security in. It's something that you take refuge in. And so it could, be, um, it could be a number of things. Um, so the Christian life, and we'll talk about this through the, the, the message, through the presentation here, the Christian life really is a lifetime of turning to God from idols. This is not a once and for all thing. Um, you could tear that statue down, in Brazil or Nicaragua, and those folks would find something else as their refuge. It may be God. It may be who knows what. And if it's the who knows what, you know, it wasn't the statue that caused the idolatry. It was the wandering heart that that caused it. So um, we could also call this message, and and as I was particularly thinking about this in relation to uh, the audience there at Fight of Faith, uh, but it's helpful for us as well. We could also call this message uh, the fruit of a true conversion. The fruit of a true conversion. First Thessalonians 1 is fantastic for that. We know that because Paul says very clearly, brethren, we know your election of God. Okay? We know that you were God's elect because of The way that the gospel came to you in power and in much assurance and so forth and so on. So the fruit of a true conversion, what does that look like? What are are we supposed to, uh, how do we discern that? Or we could say uh, what every Christian needs to grow. What every Christian needs to grow. And we mean this in two different ways. Uh, The first way is we're going to look at three areas of the Christian life that are a must if you're going to grow. Okay. Repentance and faith, obedience and hope. Uh, those three areas. If you don't have those three areas alive in your heart, you are not going to grow. You need all three. Now, one sense, we mean if you don't have this equipment, as an illustration, if you don't have this equipment, you can't grow. On the other side, what every Christian needs to grow You need it in order to grow, but they are also, uh, they need to be intentional areas that you are seeking to grow. So we're growing into a life of repentance and faith. Your obedience needs to continually grow. You need to abound more and more, as Paul would say. And then our hope needs to be growing as well as we give our time and attention to these things. So uh, turning to God from idols, we're talking about uh, fruit of a true conversion, and then we're talking about what every Christian needs in order to grow and to put time and attention in to grow. And so these are the three areas repentance and faith, obedience, and hope. And how did we come up with those three? And uh, they're just directly from the text, from verse 8. Uh, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God where it is spread abroad. Um, so that we need not to speak anything, for they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had among you and how you turned to God from idols, there's your repentance and faith, to serve the living and true God, there's your obedience, and to wait for His Son from heaven, there's your hope, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So when the gospel was preached, when the Holy Spirit came in power, it produced repentance and faith. And while these two are, we're talking about two different things, they're a package deal. Sometimes we can get this wrong. You cannot have repentance without faith. And you cannot have faith without repentance. If you have one, the other is there with it. It's two sides of the same coin. Why is that? Because, it, we'll look at this here in just a second, but it's because repentance is turning from, faith is turning to, it's, it's two sides of the turning. Um, and then obedience. Whenever repentance and faith take place, obedience is the result Okay? If it's not, then true repentance and true faith really didn't take place there. That, that's not what really happened. And then hope, that is, our expectations, what we're looking for. And we'll break that down in kind of functional definitions here. This is, uh, this is good just for a reminder, but it's also good as, uh, as you think about how you might uh, maybe explain this in simple terms to someone who might be less mature in the faith than you. So when we're thinking about repentance, what is it? Fundamentally, it's when you turn. Um, Sometimes we can get confused about this aspect. Uh, Repentance is when you turn. Faith is when you trust. Obedience is when you act. And hope is when you expect. Okay, So all of these uh, areas, these four areas, uh, growing, uh, pursuing, and the normal Christian life uh, as we seek to turn to God from idols. So I think it's also um, so it's also worth saying, if these four things, since I've got them listed out as four, really three, if these four things are not a normal part of your life, then turning to God from idols is not a normal part of your life. Just because we like the idea of turning to God from idols doesn't mean we're actually doing it. Um, hope is going to fuel this anticipation of the return of Christ, which we know that those who have this hope are being purified. Okay, Faith is believing that whenever I turn from that which my flesh loves, it's believing Jesus Christ is going to be faithful and better than the fleeting pleasures of sin for a season. And then obedience. All these things that we're talking about here are are difficult. Obedience is that war that we have to wage to continue to move forward, growing in Christ's likeness, expressing our love to Jesus Christ for what He's done for us. So these four... Realities. Now, these characterized. It's important to keep this contextually in First Thessalonians. These responses characterized their response to the proclamation of the gospel. The gospel came in power. Okay, First Thessalonians one five. The word was received with joy of the Holy Spirit, and so this is how Paul knew. The, that these brothers and sisters in Thessalonica were elect, it was because of the way they responded whenever the gospel was preached. And it, it's not just about their initial response, but Paul said their response was, was so enduring that people all over the place were talking about the Thessalonicans. Their witness was known. And so these things do not just take place in a vacuum, neither do they grow in a vacuum. Your repentance and your faith will grow as you are growing in the gospel. That is, as you are, um, your understanding and your communion with the Lord and your walk with Christ grows. As you're in the word, your repentance, your faith will grow. Your obedience will grow. It has to be informed, but it also has to be motivated. The gospel does both. Um your hope will grow as you, uh, your soul is fed with the anticipation that one of these days Christ really is coming back. And I will have unhindered communion with Him. And I can have a little taste of that now, but that's only going to come through repentance, faith, and obedience. So all this stuff is interconnected. We can't isolate it. These things are in response to the person Jesus Christ and His love and His work for His people on the cross. So first, repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. You see the arrows there. Repentance, turn from sin. Faith, turn to God. Um, repentance. We said repentance is when you turn. Right. It's when you turn. We talk about this. Uh, Often, but sometimes people confuse sorrow and repentance or conviction and repentance. Um, So repentance is not when you cry. It's not when you feel bad. Repentance is not when even you're convicted. Conviction is good. Um, Jesus tells us that one of the Holy Spirit's job is that He's going to come and He's going to reprove or convict the world of sin. But conviction is not the same thing as repentance. We know from Second Corinthians 7 where Paul contrasts godly sorrow and worldly sorrow that the only way that we can discern conviction, true conviction that comes through the Holy Spirit is what that actually does in a person's life. So here's here's what i mean i mean you you know the the text i think second corinthians 7 verse 10 godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of but the sorrow of the world worketh death okay so godly sorrow or we could also call that conviction that comes by the holy spirit okay? godly sorrow produces worketh produces it's the same word produces Repentance. Worldly sorrow, still sorrow, produces death. So what's what's the point? Well, they both look the same. They both might feel the same, but they each produce a different outcome. So when the Holy Spirit convicts, That conviction is a means to an end. If that makes sense. It's not just meant to be, it's not just sanctifying in and of itself to be convicted. If, uh, if we think about what God's overall plan is, it's that you and I would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. He's doing that. We talked about this on Sunday afternoon. He's doing all of that through grace. So, when the Holy Spirit, by, um, sovereign grace brings conviction in your heart, that conviction is meant to push you, to drive you, to nudge you a little closer to being conformed to the image of Jesus. Okay, and by that, we don't necessarily mean to drive you closer to reflect the fact that Jesus wept. Okay, just because you cry over your sin doesn't mean you've changed. It's not until your actions change, your thoughts change. You can repent in thought, motive, and action, but obedience is an act. So it's not until some change, some turning has occurred that repentance has actually taken place. Now, this is another thing that's worth thinking about with repentance and faith. Um, When the Holy Spirit brings conviction... The intention is not just that you turn from something, but that you turn to someone. Okay, it's the whole turning that, that that's uh, that counts. It's the whole turning that matters. So, repentance is is when you turn. Faith is when you trust. Faith is when you trust. Now, Ephesians 2.8 tells us uh, that faith is a gift of God. It's not something that we muster up. It's not something that uh, you and I can just somehow access in and of ourselves. We are completely dependent on the grace of God, which exists outside of us until the Holy Spirit makes us alive and indwells us. And so Ephesians 2.8, it's by grace that you're saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So faith is when you trust. And this is that gift that you're given by God. But faith is also informed by Scripture. Okay, so you're given the gift, or we could say you're given the uh, ability, you're made alive by the Spirit, and, and you're given the ability to exercise faith. But Romans 10 asked the question in Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Romans chapter 10 verse 13 it says for whosoever shall call upon the name of the lord shall be saved how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed and how shall they and how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard and how shall, shall they hear without a preacher and how shall they preach except they be sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So these are basic questions that are being asked, and and a, l- a lot of times um, people have taken this section and uh, either been paranoid of um, teaching gospel regeneration or actually taught gospel regeneration, which simply means that what really makes somebody alive is when the preacher preaches the word. No, that's not what makes them alive. But when the Holy Spirit makes you alive, he doesn't bypass the couple of thousand year project that he was on when he was putting scripture together. So if we want to know what God has said about himself, it's here. I don't know about you, but I didn't come with a USB port. When I was regenerated, the Holy Spirit didn't put his thumb drive in the back of my head and upload all the information. He didn't do that with you either. But what he did do was preserve a book, That was inspired, breathed out by God. As men wrote, they were moved by the Spirit. Romans 15 tells us that the things that were written beforehand beforehand or before time, they were written for you and for me and for our learning. So, how will we know what to believe? How are we going to know that we should even call upon the Lord? How to call upon the Lord? Well, the way we're going to know is right here. Your faith is not given by the Word, but it is informed by the Word. Uh, We know that Jesus Christ is the incarnate Son of God who came and lived a perfect life and offered Himself up to His Father as the perfect sacrifice for uh, God's elect, whom He loved from all eternity, Not because creation revealed that to us, and not because some holy man had a dream somewhere that we trust, but because God has clearly revealed that to us in the pages of Scripture. Now that's going to be important, because faith and hope are both informed by the same thing. And that's this right here. And you're not going to grow if your faith and your hope aren't growing. So faith is a gift, But that gift is informed by Scripture, which means that what you're trusting about God has to come with a chapter and verse. You can't just decide you're going to trust God for something. What you're trusting God to do must come with a chapter and verse. It cannot come with a fuzzy feeling or an intuitive feeling. That's not biblical faith. I say it can't come with. It can't be based just on that. All right, now Ephesians 6.16, faith is exercised by the individual. (laughs) Ephesians 6.16, we're told to take the shield of faith so that we might quench the fiery darts of the devil. So faith is something that you're given. Faith is something that must be built up or informed by Scripture. But faith is also something that must be exercised by The individual. So, uh, you know, another way to say that is once your faith is informed by Scripture, then you need to be about the business of talking to yourself more and listening to yourself less. As Satan whispers lies, as it were, into your ear, as he fills your heart with greed and covetousness and fear and anxieties and all the other things that the world, the flesh, and the devil are trying to squeeze into you. Taking up the shield of faith means that we take... We talked about this, we talked about spiritual warfare about a month ago. It means that you take that sword of the Spirit, the rhema of the Spirit, and you begin to speak truth into the lies that your heart is holding on to, believing, responding to in fear, despair, anger, so forth and so on. So it's a gift. It's informed and it's also exercised. Okay, if all three of these things, of course, the first one God has to do. But if the next two aren't being done, growth is not really going to occur. Now, we said this already. Repentance and faith are a package deal. Mark chapter one. Mark chapter one, verse fifteen. Really, verse 14, it says, Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Okay, Repent and believe. Same thing as repentance and faith. Repent and believe. Um, We've talked about this already. It's helpful to think of repentance and faith as... Turning, okay, repentance turns from something, faith turns towards something. So in order for um again, biblical repentance and faith to occur, or biblical repentance to occur, both of these have to happen. I'll give you an example. Um let's just say that someone is um Someone is enslaved in the sin of pornography. And um, they realize, I've got to turn from this. I've got to get my focus somewhere else. I've got to put my time and attention in something else. And so they do. They turn from pornography, but what they end up turning to is the gym. They become a health and fitness nut and they pour all their time, the same kind of time and attention and commitment and all that that they were pouring into the pornography they're putting into the health and fitness. And for us, we would say that's a good change because spiritually speaking, it's definitely not as destructive as pornography. But, but what if pornography was the idol and they traded that idol for the idol of physical fitness and health? Is that any better? Is that called repentance and faith? If you make a God out of out of porn and then you turn around and make a God out of fitness, have you made biblical change? Is that really repentance and faith? The answer is no, you haven't. True repentance occurs as you turn from whatever that sin is and you turn toward Christ. Really, when we're thinking about it from a trust perspective, anytime time we allow ourselves to become enslaved to sin, we're trusting a lie. And we are turning in faith to trust the truth. Jesus Christ. So we're not just swapping out fruit. We're turning from something to someone. Now that works both ways. You remember in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, God said He had two things against His people. One, they had turned from the living God. Two, they had turned to those cisterns that just didn't hold water. See, that's the opposite of the kind of repentance and faith we're talking about. They had turned from God, but they turned to those broken cisterns. By the way, anytime you turn from God, that's always going to be the case. Um, you're always going to turn to a cistern that does not hold water. There's no such thing as turning away from God and turning to nothing. <clears throat> And then 1 Thessalonians 1.9 gives that opposite. They turn from those broken cisterns or those idols back to the living God. We said it already, but as repentance and faith are a package deal. Repentance and faith are also an intentional, ongoing lifestyle for the follower of Christ. It is not a one-time event. If you were to take the, the Greek tenses of the verb repent and believe... In Mark 1.15, Jesus is saying be repenting and be believing. These are ongoing. It's not just repent one time and believe one time and write down the date of your baptism at the back of your Bible so, so Satan can never convince you that you were never saved to begin with. No, it's be repenting, be believing. This is a lifestyle that will not change until Christ comes back. This is one of the reasons why I think someone who is involved in regular repenting, and believing in an intentional way um, that this is going to fuel your hope as well. If you're fighting sin, you're going to get tired of sin. You're going to get tired of the temptation. You're going to get tired of the burden. You're going to get tired of that. You're longing for the day that you do not have to struggle to turn to God in faith and in trust and choose Him over those leaky cisterns. And so it's our hope, and we'll get to that next week, that will continue to drive us there. Um, yeah, and we'll get to this one next week as well. So for now... Um, You turned to God from idols. We're thinking about what every Christian needs to grow. And for tonight, the emphasis is on repentance and faith. Turning from sin to Christ.